Bible uses four different imageries to explain salvation. These imageries, they are not distinct. They are not alternative explanations of the salvation. But they are rather complementary images. And we're going to look at one of them today. That is propitiation. Now, Bible has three clear affirmations of propitiation. First one I have just read out to you from 1 John 4, verse 10. Another one is found in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, where it says, God put forward Jesus Christ as the propitiation by his blood. And another is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is not a word that is part of our colloquial. We do not use it in day-to-day language at home, at office, at work. Unfortunately, in many of the churches also, we do not use this word very often. Some of the Bible translations have done away with it. But our forebears who have gone before us, they were well aware of it. They knew what it meant. But now having said that, it doesn't mean they were comfortable using it. Some of you today might have read this word for the first time, heard it for the first time, and are wondering in your heads, what's the meaning of this word? And why is it that people find it difficult to use this word? To propitiate someone really means to appease them, to pacify somebody's anger. And now this very fact that God and anger together makes even Christians cringe and revolt against this word. Okay, there are type one Christian who would argue that God is love, isn't he? And anger is opposite of love. Then how can God be angry? I think he's wrong. Because anger is not opposite of love. Hatred is. Many of the parents here will tell you they dearly love their children and still their children incite a lot of anger. <laughs> now there is Christian type too, who will ask you mockingly, oh, God gets angry, does he? So does that mean you can bribe him to calm down his anger? Or you can give him some kind of offering and he'll be all right with you? They argue that it is okay for the primitive animist people living in the jungle somewhere to be afraid of the spirits. But shouldn't we, the 21st century Christians, have grown out of this idea? This idea is too pagan. We should not believe in it. And then there is a third type of Christian who would genuinely ask, are you asking me to believe that Jesus Christ has offered himself and somehow insinuated God now to look at me with favor. Now, to be sure, the crude concepts of anger, crude concepts of sacrifice and propitiation, they do not belong to the biblical religion. But having said that, it doesn't mean that there is no concept of such things at all in the Bible. What we have in the Holy Writ is the pure doctrine of God's holy anger, of his loving sacrifice in Christ Jesus and God's own initiative to pacify his own anger. If you want to develop 
uh, biblically true doctrine of propitiation, we need to distinguish it at three points from the pagan ideas. Point number one is why propitiation is necessary in the first place. Number two, who made it? And number three, what was it? Why it was necessary? Who made it? And what was it? We deal with the first one. The reason why propitiation is necessary, and it's no-brainer, because every time that you sin, my friend, it arouses God's wrath. It arouses his anger. Now, this doesn't mean like animist fear that God will fly off the handle at the slightest provocation. Still less likely that he will get angry for no reason at all. God is not capricious. His anger is never arbitrary. He's never irascible or malicious. He's not spiteful, waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can throw down a thunderbolt and get you with it. Now, his anger is not even mysterious or irrational. It is always, always predictable. Why? Because there is only one thing which arouses his anger. That's evil. Evil alone. God's anger, God's holy wrath is his continuous antagonism to everything that is evil. In whatever form the evil might manifest itself, that arouses God's anger. I think at this point we will do really well to somehow distinguish, illustrate how God's anger might vary. Because we have this tendency to infer our qualities upon God. So let's see how God's anger differs from yours. See, God gets angry when you lie. To make, a uh, to make an excuse for coming late at work. Or to get an extension for your assignments. It doesn't seem very harmless to you, but you lie. You're cheating on taxes. It makes him very angry. While you think, why should I give my money to someone else? I've just been smart. Fudging my books. Uh, God gets angry when you get drunk utter all kind of obscenities while you are just having some harmless fun and being funny to cheer up your mates, aren't you? God gets angry when you flirt in your workplaces with your colleagues, whether in a cafe or sitting next to a stranger on a plane, thinking it's just some innocent fun for five or ten minutes or for two hours' journey. Nobody ever going to know. God gets angry. This is how God gets angry. But you get angry when somebody says something about you which is true, but they said it. <laughs> you get angry because maybe your spouse, even after 20 years of you telling them this is how you like your food, still can't cook it the same way. While God, having been putting up with you for all these years of your life, doesn't get upset then you still fail him. It still gives you another chance. You get very upset with your friend because he would not just listen to you. Only if he would have listened to you, he wouldn't have avoided that mistake and his life have not been a wreck what it is. While God puts up with you, he doesn't get angry when every time you make a mistake by going contrary to his word, though you've been reading it. So you see, God's anger is poles apart than ours. Fortunately, what provokes our anger, our injured vanity, never provokes his. 
But what provokes his anger? Evil. Very seldom provokes ours. So it is because of the evil that is performed by you and by me. God is angry. That's why propitiation is necessary. We come to our second point. Who made the propitiation? Now, in pagan context, it is always human being who is trying to calm down to propitiate the wrath of the gods that he or she might have incurred by doing something wrong. Either by performing a ritual quite meticulously or by giving some kind of offering like a vegetable or an animal, even human sacrifices. Such practices are thought to placate God's wrath. Now, I come from India. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Hinduism is the very prevalent worldview in that country. Your life, the things that you do, and the lives of God's, their actions, they Remember I say gods because Hinduism believes in pantheon. There are so many gods and goddesses. So their life and your life is very intricately related. Uh, you can do something to incur their wrath without even knowing. And then you are in trouble. I'll give you one example, right? Uh, in India, marriages, they are quite a funny things. It's not quite simple as here. You like a girl, you court them for a year or two, and then you propose and they say, yes, everything is happy. In our culture, your parents set it up, everything. They will sift through so many proposals that come. They will look whether the family from which the girl belongs, they are of good social standing, if they are of good financial standing, if the girl is beautiful, if she can cook, if she's well-educated, but all this is secondary. The most crucial part to mix a match, to set up a match, that the horoscopes of the guy and the girl, they should be complementary. The horoscopes matching, its dictates are definitive in the life of people. Because all their married blessings, they depend on that. So my family, uh, so many good proposals that they got for my brother, the progress just stalled because the horoscope simply wouldn't match. It took them about four or five years before my brother finally got married after measuring up everything. And we were quite happy, but only for two or three months till our priest came and he said, he's found a problem. What's the problem? He said, ah, he's been studying uh, and he found that uh, just after the first year of marriage is complete, my brother will die. This marriage ought have not happened. And by doing this, he has incurred so much wrath of God's upon himself. But of course, we cannot sit idle in face of such adversity which have befallen us. So we took the initiative and we say, okay, please tell us what we need to do. He said, this is the ritual that you have to do. Uh, such and such place, so and so offerings, such and such deities involved. And our families proceeded to propitiate the wrath of God so that my brother can go on living from nine months on from there. But Bible is distinct. You know, gospel makes clear affirmation that nothing you can say, nothing you can do 
or even offer or contribute can pay for your sins. To turn away the wrath of God that remains upon you. This idea was clear even in the Old Testament. In which the gift of sacrifice, it was given by God himself. It wasn't something when you give it to God, he will act graciously towards you. Rather, it was a gift of a gracious God, so that he can also act graciously to his sinful people, you and I. New Testament is even clear that it is God the Father who put forward, presented Jesus Christ as the propitiatory sacrifice for our sins, yours and mine. Now, at this point, it cannot be emphasized too strongly again that God's love, God's love is the source of propitiation. It's not an achievement of it. In words of pity forsooth, if it was God's wrath, God's holy anger that needed to be propitiated, it was God's love that did the propitiating job. If it could be said that uh, God was changed by propitiation, or rather that God him changed himself by propitiation, we should be very clear that he did not change from anger to love, from wrath to being nice. His feeling was always of love, and it says God's nature is unchangeable. It never changes. The distinction that you and I need to make is between that of a feeling and of a treatment. God's feeling towards his creation has always been of love. But because of the sin, his treatment of us, that need to be changed. God presented a sacrifice in Jesus Christ and welcomed us home, changed our treatment as well. So who did propitiation? God did. God's initiative, not ours. Now, third point, what was the propitiatory sacrifice? Uh, it was neither an animal, nor a vegetable, nor a precious mineral metal. It was a person. It wasn't a human person. It wasn't an angel. And when it says it was his son, it is not something external to God, something distinct from God. Goes in giving his son... He has given his very self, not something outside, but God had himself. Now to explain uh, this part, okay, give you an illustration. Uh, you are walking home now, you're walking home after watching a late night show at downtown. And uh, this vicious guy comes and attacks you, you know, robs you of all your money. Uh, gives you some gashes here and there. And a few days later, cops find him. Because you obviously lodge a complaint. And cops now, they have a few guys standing there. And they call you for the identification process. You go. And you so there's the guy right there. But you haven't pointed it out to the policeman yet. Now there are two ways in which you can go on about propitiating the anger that has been building up within you from the time the guy beat you up and took all your money. Scenario one, you can go tit for tat. This is the rascal. Put him behind the bars, please. 
Number two, you decide to propitiate wrath by paying it yourself. Oh, paying it yourself, how is that possible? Is it possible? Yes. You decide you're gonna let him free. I'll tell you the truth, this second part, the second way of propitiating your wrath will hurt a lot more. Because this anger that was building up in you, you have to drink it yourself. Instead of pouring it out to whom it actually belonged. And you will have to drink every single drug of it. And it will give you some deep anguish in your soul. In our case, in truth, we are the offending body. And God is the one whom we have offended. And it is he himself who has chosen to drink the cup of his wrath and of his fury. Going through something within himself. Which is very hard for you and me to understand. Because we are evil. He is not. Okay. He has done it. Some of you say, okay, initiative come from God. How about I, I propitiate it? I'm willing to propitiate. I'm a religious man. I'm a holy man. I can propitiate his wrath. Tell me, God, what it takes. Okay, to be true, initiative hasn't come from you. But even if it came from you, what were you going to offer him? Because nothing less than eternal damnation is required. Okay, you in your foolish moment said, okay, I'll give that. I'll give myself for eternal damnation. You fool, what are you giving? Do you not know that your very self is dependent upon him? He created you. You are not even your own. He owns you by creation. So you don't even have anything to offer if you desire to offer. Only God, your Lord, and your creator he could stand in your place. You know, he could take the penalty which was supposed to be yours as a consequence of your sin in such a way that it would have been suffered and overcome. In summary, so far, propitiation was needed because of your sins and God's holy anger that it aroused. It was God who himself took the initiative and he gave his own son. And in doing so, he gave himself as the sacrifice. Now, there is no crudity like the pagan concepts here to invoke your ridicule. There is only profundity to fall down on your knees and worship him. And if it is true that God's love for you is so great that he will send down his son and in doing so himself come down, and propitiate so that he can deal with you in love. It should give you immense freedom. Freedom to come to him. Okay, no matter what sins you have committed, doesn't matter how grave they have been. He desires for you to come. No matter what kind of life you have lived, even till this point, what thoughts have occurred in your mind, even as I'm preaching. Whether you have been living in a church and you have been living a duplicitous life, you live something like 
in the church and something else outside? God's feeling for you is still of love. And his treatment of you can change right now in the light of his cross. Simply accept Jesus Christ as a propitiation for your sins. If you have never received him, do not waste your time. Bible says that today is the day of salvation. He's a holy God. His anger remains on those who will not come. In his love, he has given the way. Make a choice. You know, do not leave it till tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. You don't know what's going to come tomorrow your way. And even if right now something going on in your heart, yep, I think. I feel that God is calling me and I want to set right. Don't wait till tomorrow. After the service, come and talk to me or find anyone else who invited you to church. And ask whatever questions you have and talk and they will pray with you until something happens within your heart too. Okay, that's for you who have not known him. Now for you Christians, if God's love is so great for you, and you often hear Satan's voice in your head. See? You're good for nothing. Don't go to him. Don't go to God. He doesn't love you. He lies. He loves you. Loves you enough to send his son to die for you. And don't think that because of one more time you succumb to temptation, he will turn you away. That don't come to me. His grace is not cheap. It's enough to cover everything. Talk back to the devil of the hell to keep his lies to himself. Speak to him the truth of propitiation in Jesus Christ that is yours. And in the light of God, all the darkness will fade away and it will be only light. Now in the end, just want to again magnify, exalt the greatness of God's love. I'm going to start with an illustration. Okay, when a young man, you know, he falls in love with this girl that he likes so much, there's nothing that he wouldn't do. There's nothing that he wouldn't do to make her believe that he really loves her. There's no price too great for him to pay. Remember the story of Jacob and Rachel? He slaved it out seven years to get his wife. And Bible says it appeared to him like only days. Uh... He was taken advantage of by his father-in-law and he married off Leah to her instead of Rachel. And he said, okay, seven more years and I'll give you Rachel too. He said, okay, fine. He slaved out seven more years. No cost too much. Another thing about love, love is very vulnerable. If you are in love with somebody and you are going to tell them that you, you're going to propose... You make yourself so vulnerable because the other person might not even have a hint of such feelings in their heart. Isn't that? Now God, the creator of the universe, he made himself very vulnerable. First of all in incarnation and then in the cross. He came to this earth, the creator of all, in a form of a helpless babe. Now the righteous judge of every human being, of all creation, 
he went through an unjust trial and falsely implicated. This giver of life was crucified and died on the cross. Still he displayed his love. The price that he's paid, you and I cannot understand. Remember Jesus' cry of dereliction on the cross? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Martin Luther tried to meditate on this verse. He was on his knees for a few hours. And after spending a few hours, he got up, shook his head. He said, God forsook God. Who can understand it? Best of human minds cannot understand how much the love of God has suffered so that he can have you. All from the heart of love. What are the possible responses again in the face of such great love, such great vulnerability this omnipotent God has displayed? I think most pathetic response would be of indifference. Who gives a toss? I'm out of here. A very unfortunate response for you yourself would be a dissent of your will that don't want to do anything with it. Only appropriate response is to say back, yes, I love back because you loved me first. And to make all your life a response to this love that this great God, powerful God has shown towards you. In going through this fracture within himself, drinking his own wrath. How do you love God? Huh? Last week, Malcolm was preaching upon prayer. Right? One of the things in the Bible that God asks you is to devote yourself in prayer. Any relationship, it has to be built. You have to put in some time in there. So just want to question you, how's your devotion life, my friends? Are you meeting your God? How's those times in the morning or afternoons or in the night where you open up his scriptures, you let the spirit of God commune with your spirit? That right treatment of yours as a result of propitiation? Or you're not loving him back? You're not giving him what is his worship? See, this God... He says, Jesus himself said, right, there are only two great commandments, the two commandments in which all of the law of the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they all summed up. Love Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So if one measure to check love for God is your prayer life, your devotional life to him, another check is how are you loving your neighbor? Are you even aware what are the needs of your fellow brothers and sisters here, even at the church? Are you devoting yourself to pray for them? Again, we saw last week, Bible says that devote yourself to prayer. Pray for the, all the saints. Okay, don't pray for all of them because there are a few billion of them on the earth. You'll die. But how about a few handful? Our church directory isn't that big, is it? Even let God mishmash your hearts. Everything has originated from his heart of love. And in response, he desires your love. 
to him and to his people whom he loves very dearly. And if you are doing this, you'll be doing well. This, I believe, is the heart of propitiation. Take it, meditate it, over it, and love him, and love your neighbor. Let us pray. Father, your love is too great. Lord, I'm not even an average man. I don't have comprehension or apprehension of great men like Luther. But still somehow I understand that your love for me is very great. And my whole life has to be a response. It should be grateful. But you know my moments, Lord, when I have been so unfaithful to you. Where I have doubted you. But Lord, your love is too great, your word says. There is nothing which can separate us from the love of Christ. There is no valley too deep, no mountain too high. Father, thank you for your great salvation, for your great love that you have for all of us. Father, I pray that we be drenched in it. We drink of your love every day. And we love you every day. And we love our fellow neighbors every day. Father, this is our desire. And I know we cannot do it in our own power, so we pray. Give us your Holy Spirit that we might do this and do this well. We ask all these things. In the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.